So there have been times in these last couple of years when we've just been overwhelmed. But the Apostle Paul, you know the Word of God never changes, you know that? You know, it's, it's just as the Lord Himself, it's the same yesterday and today and forever. And so what was written 2,000, 3,000 years ago is still very applicable today, right? So when the Lord says, when Paul says, uh, in all things give thanks, he knew that there was a key to that. And the key to that is as we rely on the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us, we can be thankful. And the main thing that we're thankful for is the gift of salvation. Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross and died for every one of us. He sacrificed himself so that we might be forgiven of our sins. You know, the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So do you know that when God looks at us as, as believers, as children of God, when he looks down upon us, he doesn't see our sin. You know what he sees? The blood of Jesus, which covers a multitude of sins. So that makes us righteous or right in God's sight. So today, no matter what's going on in your life, you can be thankful. You can have a joyful heart because of what God has done for you. Well, again, I am so thankful for this opportunity, and I want to thank Eric for asking me to fill the pulpit for him. You know, when you're pastoring a church, you've got to be very careful, especially today, about who you allow to come. But I think Eric does trust me. But, you know, one thing, I think I have failed with Eric. You know, he, he calls me one of his mentors. But I think I failed because I had to ask for a pulpit today. He had a stool, a round stool, and some kind of flat table up here that he uses. And I've seen him preach. You know, he's got his laptop. He's cool, isn't he? He's got his laptop and all that. You know, he's just, he's just a cool dude. i got to have a pulpit, and I still, have, I still have a copy of the written word. I haven't gone to the, to the iPad or anything like that yet. So, uh, but, you know, I, uh, I don't see any. Now, in the first service, me and Mr. Puckett were the only two that had a tie on. And Mr. Puckett's gone, so I'm by myself on this. I tell you what I do. I'm going to let my hair down. I'm going to unbutton my top button. How's that? Okay? All right. Now then. Now. I'm not as formal as I normally am, okay? So anyway, I am just so thankful for this opportunity. And uh, Eric told me that he just completed a series of messages on gratitude and preparing your hearts for thanksgiving. And so I, I didn't feel like when he told me that, I thought, well, I don't. I don't have to feel compelled to preach a message on Thanksgiving because he's been preparing you for that for quite a while now. And I just want to—I want to thank the Lord, and I know you do as well—that this Thursday we're going to be able to gather together as family and and uh, and just and just uh, be thankful for that opportunity, taking some precautions if necessary, but also just being thankful that this year is going to be different and we can we can really enjoy our time together with family. All right, so um, I want to. I want to take you back a few years, quite a few. December the 20th, 1975. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you weren't alive then because that's going to be a lot of you. But uh, on December the 20th, 1975, probably just about in this spot right here, and I'm not sure, I think the stage has probably changed a little since then, uh, a little, but probably in this general vicinity, uh, this is the second, something happened here that was the second most important event that happened in my life. And that is the time when I swindled my wife-to-be, Janet. Uh, she was Janet Smith, Janet Gale Smith, but I, I convinced her that I could be a good husband for her. And so on, Jan on December the 20th, 1975, we stood in this spot, and she made a vow uh, to be my wife in, in sickness and in health, in good times and bad times, till death do us part. In, in, uh, 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 so she, I'm thankful that she didn't 
know all that she could know. I'm thankful that she uh, did not know what the next few years held for her because I assure you I was not the model husband for the first couple of years of our marriage. I was selfish. I was, I was uh, focused on what I wanted and really not what anyone else wanted. Uh, that's not a good combination for a successful marriage. And so for those first couple of years, we struggled along. And I'm, I'm thankful that she, uh, Janet, when she made that commitment, she was, uh, uh, she was committed uh, to living out that commitment and trust in the Lord uh, to, to lead us. And so we're so thankful that after 46 years now, uh, we've been husband and wife for 46 years, we'll be on December the 20th of this year. And uh, so uh, we, have, we have been blessed. But this morning, I want, to, I want to reminisce a little bit. Janet and I, after we were married that, that, uh, that day, we went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee on our honeymoon, uh, came back here, we came back on December the 23rd, two days before Christmas. And we moved in a little garage apartment over in Gaither Park. You know where Gaither Park is? If you're from Lindale, you know where Gaither Park is. So a little, a little three-room garage apartment in Gaither Park. And it was two days before Christmas. We didn't have a Christmas tree. Uh, we didn't have any ornaments. We didn't have anything to decorate for Christmas. But we were, you know, both uh, traditionalists in Christmas. We wanted to be able to celebrate Christmas. So we did have a... Uh, a hall tree, or I'd call it a hat rack. We had a hat rack, and uh, so we went to wherever. They wasn't dollar stores back in. There certainly wasn't Walmarts, but wherever we went to get a cheap ornament, we went and bought two cheap ornaments. We bought a little bit of red and green ribbon, and uh, and we decorated that hall tree and and some mistletoe. Yeah, I had to I had to make sure we had mistletoe there, uh, but uh, we decorated that hall tree, and that's the way we celebrated Christmas that year. Well, the next year, Janet's sister uh, gave us a Hallmark ornament, a dated Hallmark ornament. Anyone familiar with those? They still make them uh, because we buy one every year. But it was 1976, and Janet, after, after her sister gave her that, Janet said, I want us to start collecting these every year. And so we have every year. It's funny, though, in the lean years, we bought a real cheap ornament as we look back on them now. You know, the years when things were going well, we would buy a nice ornament. But you can look back and you say, okay, that's when, you know, we lost this job. We made that transition. We didn't have as much money, so we bought the cheapest ornament we could find. But at least all of them, <clears throat> like I said, there'll be 46 of them when we purchase the one for this year, which will be in uh, next week or two because they're gone uh, pretty quick after Thanksgiving if you don't get one of them. So, but that will be our 46. And I want to reminisce for just a minute about those ornaments and the memories that they bring back to us because of what was going on in our life. The 1981 ornament, it was a baby's first Christmas because that's the year that the Lord blessed us with our first child, Haley Michelle. And uh, so we were so thankful. You know, our lives changed when that first baby came. The, all you parents around here, you know what happens after that first child comes. So in 1981, uh, we celebrate. And every year when we look at that, we think that was, that was Haley's first Christmas. 1983, that was also a baby's first. It, we couldn't find a second baby's first Christmas. It was just another baby's first Christmas. But that's when our youngest daughter, Abby, Leanne, uh, Hastings now, who's actually a member of this church and was here in the earlier service today, so I got to pick on her earlier today. But uh, that's the year that, that Abby was born. And uh, Abby's very unique. Uh, uh, she was challenging for us as parents, and the Lord convinced us real soon that our family was complete with Abby. We would not have any more children. And, uh, and I tell that to Abby, and she knows that. Uh, and she, you know, you've heard the saying, you pay for your raising. Uh, 
Luke is giving them a run for their money. I guarantee you, their youngest son, Luke. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we, we see that ornament, and we're so thankful that, that the Lord blessed us with, with Haley. Uh, 1991, as we pull that ornament out now, I see that that was a year that, that brought a major change in our lives. That's when the Lord called me into full-time Christian ministry and led me to enroll at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary where I attended for five years to get a two-year degree. I was on the FAST program. Uh, and, uh, but uh, driving to Atlanta, it was an off-campus center uh, in Atlanta, so I drive to Atlanta twice, uh, two nights a week uh, for five years and finally got that degree. And so that was a, that was a huge thing. I had been employed by uh, Atlanta Gaslight Company uh, prior to that, and I knew that was going to, there was things were going to change. So uh, after I got my seminary degree, uh, left that company, went into ministry full time. So that brought a, a huge change in our life as well. 1997, I pull out that ornament now, and that was the year that the Lord uh, gave us our first pastorate. I was called to the foreign mission field up in Armurchie, Georgia. I see one of the Bowen girls back there, and I, she's not. She didn't think that was too funny. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, I pastored a church up in Big Texas Valley for nine years up there. And matter of fact, as you know the story, that's where Eric. I, Eric was. Uh, we called him as our first uh, uh, youth minister there, and had a great time of ministry together. So that brought about a huge change as well. And then in 2007. Uh, the Lord, uh, after serving uh, at that church for nine years, the Lord called us to Pleasant Valley South Baptist, and I had the privilege and the blessing of pastoring, being the associate pastor there in charge of missions. Had the privilege to take the gospel all over the world, starting in our own community and then going uh, throughout the United States and into Ukraine and Peru and just a lot of different places. And so I am thankful for all those opportunities. You know, as important as all of these dates are, there's a date, and I said Janet's, the day that Janet married me was the second most important day of my life. The first most important day of my life, April the 2nd, 1978. Even though I had been raised in a Christian home, uh, at that, uh, on that date, at 22 years of age, I realized that I'd never been saved. I realized that I had walked the aisle as a child, had been baptized, uh, and thought I was saved, but I really didn't know what it meant to be a, a follower of Christ. And, I never surrendered my life to him, but on that day, April the 2nd, 1978, the Lord Jesus came into my heart, became my, my Savior, my Master, and uh, I committed myself to serve him. The next year in 1979, we got involved in a church, and the Lord led us to take a mission trip to upstate New York with our church. And so we were there, and uh, they were having tent revival meetings. We were part of an evangelism team doing uh, backyard Bible clubs for kids in the morning. But in the evening, they had a tent revival, had an evangelist that was there. And um, so every night of that revival, Janet and I were sitting there, and Janet would, uh, during the service or after the service, she'd say, you know, God's just calling us to do something. I, I don't know what it is. Well, on Thursday of that, the night, last night of that revival, uh, the Lord got a hold of Janet, and she trusted Christ as her Lord and Savior. She has the same testimony that I do. She uh, walked the aisle here at, at First Baptist Lindell when she was a, child, uh, a young girl and uh, didn't, didn't really know what it meant to trust the Lord. And so there she became a, a born-again child of God. So in just 14 months, we went from being uh, a newlywed couple without the Lord to one that had sinned. Both of us had surrendered our life to the Lord and uh, committed to serve Him. So there was a radical change that, brought, that, that God brought in our lives. You know, when you're, when you're saved, um, you don't automatically become perfect, do you? 
Matter of fact, you never become perfect, but you're on that, you're on that journey of becoming more like Christ on a daily basis. And we've, God's given us many opportunities to serve. We haven't been perfect, but our desire is to serve Him and to honor Him. Well, as I've reminisced a little bit this morning, I want to lead us to a passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul is reminiscing. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 13 and 14 of Philippians 3. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and I'll be reading from the New King James translation, what might be a little different from yours. I want to ask you, if you will, to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word together. Philippians 3, verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You now for Your Word this morning. We believe, God, that Your Word is, is inspired, it's authoritative, uh, it's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So this morning, as we allow Your Holy Spirit to speak to us through Your Word, Father, we believe You have a Word for us today, Father. You have, us, you have a message for us today, and we pray that we will be in tune, Lord, and then we will be obedient to however you lead us to respond to your word today, God. And we're just going to thank you in advance for what you're going to do in each of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I've titled the message this morning, A Look Back, A Look In, and A Look Up. And we see in this, we see in these passages, the Apostle Paul, as I said, is doing some reminiscing. In Philippians chapter 3, verse, the half, the second half of verse 4 through 6, is a look back to review God's mercy. As the Apostle Paul looked back at his life before Christ, he saw that God was a merciful God. He wrote, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You know the story, if you've read in the book of Acts, about Paul or Saul's conversion. You know that he was struck by a lot. He was, he was on the way to Damascus to arrest Christians, have them hopefully martyred. That was his desire, to see Christians killed for their faith, and he was on the way to Damascus. The Bible says a bright light from heaven shone down on him. He was struck blind. He heard the voice of the Lord speaking to him. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And, he, and, and Paul said, Lord, who is it that I am persecuting? He said, it is me. It's Jesus Christ. You are persecuting me. And at that time, the apostle Saul, who became the apostle Paul, surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he, before that time, he was considered one of the most by his contemporaries, a Jew among Jews. He was, he was on his way up, if you know what I mean. If we look at the uh, comparison to the Southern Baptist Convention today, you think about someone who's on the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, and you know you, you serve on the executive committee, and, and then a lot of people that served there ended up being the president of the Southern Baptist Convention if, you know, if voted that way. So just think about Paul. If we think about in, in, in today's, uh, the way 
the way we do things in the Southern Baptist Convention. He was one, he was on his way up. He was, he was headed towards the top. And so he saw, he looked back on all that. He was a, he was a, pure, uh, a pure Jew. He was born in the tribe of Benjamin. He was one of the elite tribes of Israel. Concerning his commitment to the law of Moses, he was a Pharisee, and therefore, thereby he was a proponent of strict adherence to the law. So he was, he was a Jew of Jews. And, but he looks back on that, and uh, he says that was all for nothing. That was all rubbish. He, he, uh, he, in, when he wrote to, to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13, he said to young Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Listen to this. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Like Saul of Tarsus, when we look back at our lives before we came to know Christ, we know that the mercy of God was upon us. You know, I was, as again, I was 22 years old when I accepted Jesus. And when I was in my late teenage years, my dad was a very strict disciplinarian. And when I got out from under my dad's hand when I went to college, uh, I, 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 I went wild. Uh, I, I, I did some crazy things. And, you know, I look back on those years now and I see some of the situations that I put myself in and I see that God's hand was with me. I see that, that but without His mercy, I wouldn't have survived a lot of those things. I don't know whether God's going to show us all those things when we sit down before Him, when we get to glory and the Lord will say, you know, back in this particular situation on this particular day when you were involved in this and, and you survived that, that was my hand of mercy. That was me watching over you. That was me caring for you. And so whether God does that or not, we can be assured that there have been times in our lives when the Lord, through His Holy Spirit uh, as, and through the, the mercy of the Lord, he has, he has taken care of us. You know, my mom and dad um, were, were devoted Christians. And as I said, they raised me in a Christian home. And, uh, but after Janet and I got married and uh, we weren't involved in church, and my mom and dad were praying parents. And they prayed for, for me on a regular basis. You know, I just want to encourage you. If you're here this morning, you've got a, you've got a child, uh, maybe an adult child, that has refused to accept Christ. They may, they may be wayward. I just want to encourage you. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. You know, the Lord, the Lord hears our prayers. And God can save who we think would be the most unlikely candidate to be a Christian. God can change their life. I'm, I'm evidence of that. Um, I, I tell a story. I was... Um, Probably back in the 1980s, I guess. Like I said, I was saved in 78. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, I was up at Rome Health Spa working out one day, and there was a young lady that was there, and uh, she was, uh, I didn't, she didn't recognize me, but I recognized her. And when I was at Shorter University, I played baseball at Shorter, she was on the basketball team there. And so uh, we were both pretty wild at that time. And, and so I went up to her, introduced myself. She said, oh, yeah, I remember you. And she said, uh, uh, and I could see her brain, you know, her, the, the gears turned in her brain, and she remembered some of the things that we probably were involved in together that was very ungodly. And so she said, um, she just looked at me, she said, well, what are you doing now? And I said, uh, well, I'm actually in the ministry. She said, do what? I mean, she was shocked. And so it's, it's a testimony of what God can do in our lives, how he can radically change us. But I am thankful, as I think back on that, I am thankful for praying parents. I'm thankful that they never gave up. I, I'm thankful they never, they never thought, well, Billy's past uh, any help now. I, there's nothing that can, that, can, uh, that can change his life. They knew that the Lord could, and they continued to pray for me. But, you know, we are all, uh, even before we come and know Christ, 
We are recipients of the mercy of God. He is a merciful God. He is one who loves his creation and he wants, the Bible says he sent Jesus for the very purpose that all men might be saved. That's his, that's his desire, that everyone come and know Jesus as his Savior. Matthew 5, 45, Jesus declared that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So the mercy of God, his, his, his care for his creation, is, we're all recipients of that. So we look back in our lives, we review his mercy. We also notice in this passage that a look inside reveals man's misery. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, look down at verses 7 through 9. He said, What things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. When Paul looked back at all his earthly accomplishments and saw that in spite of his sin and rebellion against God, uh, that the Lord's hand of mercy was upon him, he then turned his gaze inward and he discovered his sinfulness and his utter depravity. And, And he said, All the things that I thought were important, everything that I had invested my life in, I now see them as rubbish. In the Greek, that word rubbish translates garbage. Or your your translation may even say dung or refuse. And Paul was saying, all those things that I thought were important, I was on the way up. I was doing all the things that I thought was right. I was, in his own heart, he was serving God. He was wiping out this sect that were followers of Jesus Christ. And he just, you know, that was, that was what he devoted his life to. But he says, now I see that all that was garbage. It was for nothing. It was for naught. And so it, it made him realize just how sinful he was and that how, how uh, unimportant those things that he had placed all of his faith in were. Um, Psalm 25, verse 7, David found himself in a similar predicament. And he cried out to the Lord, Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. The Apostle Paul understood that uh, through the abundant mercy and grace of God, uh, the Lord was willing and and ready and able to cleanse him from all of his sins. In Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 4 and 5, he communicated this truth when he wrote, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. You know, we've seen that a look back reveals God's mercy. A look in reveals man's misery. Thirdly, I want us to look up. A looking, a looking up brings rejoicing in Christ's mystery. Down in verses 10 through 14 of that Philippians chapter 3. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Let me pause there for just a minute. Paul said, I want to lay hold of the power of the resurrection. You know when Jesus said, He said, I will give you power. You shall be 
endued with power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know, Jesus had promised his disciples before he left. He said, listen, it's going to be to your benefit that I go away. And the disciples, like I would have said, how can that be to my benefit? I've been able to walk with you. I've witnessed your miracles. I've, I've heard you speak words and see people heal. I've seen great things that have happened. And, and I just want to stay with you. How in the world is it going to be better for me that you go away? And Jesus said, if I do not go, then I cannot send the Holy Spirit. And here's going to be the difference. The Holy Spirit is not only going to be with you, but what? He's going to be in you. That's exactly right. He's not going to just be with you. He's going to be in you. In the Old Testament, when God would move in, would use a, a person, He would choose someone as His instrument to perform a miracle or to do a work of the Lord, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit would come upon that person, and after that work was completed, the Holy Spirit would leave. So it was not a permanent indwelling. Jesus said, it is to your benefit that I go away because when I do and the Holy Spirit comes, He will not only be with you, but He will be in you. And listen, the power of the resurrection will be in you. The power that spoke the world into existence will be in you. Did you know that we have the fullness of the power of God living within us in the person of the Holy Spirit? And that's why everything that God calls us to do, it seems impossible to us, but through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, nothing's impossible. That's why Paul would say, I can do what? All things through Christ who gives me strength. There's nothing that we cannot accomplish when we realize that the Holy Spirit of God is living within us. So, so Paul said, I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to experience that in my own life. I want to have the fullness of the power of God living in and through me. And if you look at Paul's life and how God led him to take the gospel to all the known world throughout the Roman Empire and all of the beatings and the, the imprisonments and everything that he endured, shipwreck, being bitten by the, you know, by the, the poisonous snake and, and not being affected by that, all those things were possible because he depended on the Holy Spirit of God who lived within him to empower him. You know, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the Bible says that He came upon those and they were, they were uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And we know that now, after the apostolic age, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes and takes up residence within us. And you know, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, if we surrender to His will and allow Him to work in and through us, there's nothing that we cannot accomplish. I remember the first year that we took the gospel to Ukraine. And, you know, I'd never been to the former Soviet Union. And I knew, I knew Ukraine was a country that was, uh, its, its economy was in shambles. The, the, there's always the threat of, of uh, Russian uh, intervention in their country or, or a, uh, a, try, a takeover by the Russian government of the Ukrainians. But, you know, the Lord made it very clear to us that we were to take the gospel to Ukraine. I had made some contacts there in the years past. And so when I went to Pleasant Valley and we talked about where God would have us to go, and he made it clear that it was Ukraine, I was terrified. And I knew that God was going to call us to do things there, that there was no way that we were going to have the ability or the power or the wisdom, the knowledge. We would have no, none of the resources necessary in order to accomplish that. 
And so we got on our knees before holy God and said, God, I, I am certain this is where you're calling us, but I, I, there is no way that I can lead a team and be an example to them in trusting you and seeing how we can accomplish all this. And God, through his Holy Spirit, said, I'll do it through you. I'll do it through you. If I had enough time, I would tell you some of the miracles that we have seen. <laughs> Overwhelms me to think about it. But the miracles that we have witnessed God perform in the former Soviet Union. I'm going to tell you one story. The third year that we were in Ukraine, we were doing ministry in, a, in an old club. It was a, a, just an old joint, a beer joint or a club or whatever. It was the only building that was available for the church to meet in. So they were renting that building. And so we were doing, uh, we were doing ministry there. And there was a woman came in to that, uh, to that um, campaign that we had going on there at the uh, evangelistic campaign. And she came in and she went and talked to Nadia, who is the pastor's wife. And so Nadia had prayer with her. I just noticed them. I was busy working, uh, doing something else. But I noticed them and Nadia was praying with her. And after Nadia finished the prayer, she, I looked up and our eyes met and she motioned for me to come over. And I said, yeah, Nadia, what's, what's going on? And she said, uh, this woman wanted me to share with you. She needs your prayers. And I said, okay, what's, what's going on? And she said, her daughter is uh, eight months pregnant, and she does not have the money to pay for her child to be born, to go into a clinic and have her child to be born. And she said, but the government will abort that child, eight months, will abort that child for free. And this woman is afraid that her daughter is going to choose to have this child aborted. And so, you know, I, I thought, okay, I don't, have, I don't know anything about the economy here. I, I knew very little about the Grievna, which is their, uh, their, uh, their dollar. And so I, I just said, well, you know, I've got to know how much, how much will it cost? How much will it cost for this child to be? Well, I was figuring, you know, probably a couple of thousand. I don't know. But we were going to do whatever we could. And so Nadia looked up and she said, uh, 3,000 Grievna. And I quickly calculated that in my mind, $100. And before I had left, one of our church members there said, Billy, I don't know, you know, I, I know God always gives opportunities to do something. And she said, I've got this $100 that God told me to give you. And said, you're going to know when you need to use that money. And so I had that $100. I'd had it, I'd had it, uh, no, I didn't. I didn't even have it um, exchanged. I still had the $100 bill. And so uh, she said, uh, when she said $100, I like to rip my pocket off back of my jeans to get that that bill my billfold out and I pulled that hundred dollars out and, and gave it to her the woman just she just wept she said I, I can't believe you're willing to do that because to them I mean you know when you make like uh, forty dollars a month as their salary a uh, hundred dollars is is a lot of money and so I gave her that hundred dollars thankfully we got to see the rest of the story the next year we went and had uh, did an evangelistic campaign in that same in that same club and uh, on the second day there was a woman came in and she had the most beautiful blonde-headed blonde-haired child in her arms I think I'd ever seen in my life she that was the most beautiful baby I'd ever seen and this woman the, the baby's mom who had never met me I met her mom She'd never met me. She looked directly at me and made a beeline for me. 
I don't know how she I don't know how she identified who I was. She knew I was an American, you know, they wouldn't any doubt about that. But she didn't know that. But she came to me and she just started speaking Russian, you know, and if you've ever heard Russian spoken it's very forcefully spoken and you know I didn't know whether she was angry with me but I had a clue that that child that she was holding had something to do with and so I motioned for one of our interpreters I said come here and tell me what's what's going on and the interpreter who actually was the pastor's daughter she she asked the woman says what are you trying to tell pastor Billy and and tears started started running down her face and she said this is the baby this is the baby that y'all paid to be to be born so we had, the, we had the blessing of seeing that happen right before our eyes. Um, when the Russian troops came into Ukraine, you know, back in 2014 or 2015, we had, a, we had a mission trip planned to go there. And I talked with the pastor, and he said, Ah, Billy, I don't know. This, this doesn't look good. You know, it's a dangerous situation over there. Now, we prayed about it. Uh, I got with the mission team. I said, Let's just commit this to the Lord. And we, we prayed, and God gave us a confirmation that we needed to go. Now, Russian troops are in South Ukraine. We're about 200 miles above there. Uh, I'd never gone into a country at war before. It's usually not a very good idea. Uh, and so, but God confirmed it. So we, that year, we, I told the mission team, I said, Listen, if you have any reservations about this, I said, it's okay, you can back out. I said, I can get your money back that you paid for your ticket, for your airfare. And I said, uh, you know, it, it's going to be okay. We prayed about that. Every team member said, God's calling us to go. We went there. And normally we do medical clinics and eye clinics. We give away free glasses, free medicine. Give, use that as an opportunity to draw people uh, so that the, the Ukrainians can witness to them, share Christ with them. And so normally, you know, they'll, the people will come up and they say, oh, you know, we'd love, we need some, some medicine or we'd like to have a pair of glasses or whatever. That year, which was about seven months after the Russian troops had gone into Crimea and, and uh, took over Crimea, that year uh, they would look at us and they would say, uh, thank you for coming, and we can't believe that you're here. What would, what would move you to leave the safety of the United States and come to Ukraine where we're at war with Russia? And, of course, it just opened the doors wide open to share the gospel. It's because of the love of Christ. It's because Christ compelled us to come. It's because we, we didn't have a choice. We were just following the Lord's leadership. Listen, the opportunities that God opened up from that one mission trip... Up until that year, we would probably have about 10 to 15 people saved. Now, I don't keep up with the numbers. I'm, not, I mean, I'm thankful for everyone that, that the Lord saved. I don't come back and say, okay, we had 300 or we had 400 or whatever. But the Ukrainian pastors do, and they know each one because as soon as we leave the country, they're on those prospects, and they're developing them into Bible studies and, and uh, eventually establishing churches. But from that year on until I retired uh, this past July, Every year that we went, we averaged 400 salvations. 400. Now you tell me that apart from our obedience, and I'm not, please don't see, I'm bragging on Billy, because I, I was scared to death. But God, through his Holy Spirit, gave us the peace and the assurance that he was going to take care of us. And that when our ministry was over there, he was going to get us back home safe to our families. If we had let fear control us and keep us from going that year, I am absolutely convinced there would not be seeing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the many lives that are being changed there today. 
we have the power within us in the Holy Spirit of God to accomplish things that we could never accomplish on our own. And that's why God calls us to do the things we can do. As Paul is looking at this passage of Scripture, he's thinking about a future event that's going to take place called the rapture. You know the rapture. It's the last thing. It's the next thing on God's eschatological or end times calendar. And the rapture could take place any day now. There's nothing that has to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place. So the rapture, the Lord could come back before we even leave this building today. But it's imminent. It's going to happen. And as Paul is is thinking about this, he would later write to the church at Thessalonica. He said, the Lord Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. What should we be doing in these last days as we look up and see that the Lord's coming is imminent? We should be like the disciples that were standing there as Jesus went up into heaven. And an angel appeared to him and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you shall so come in like manner and will return to you. That day's coming, folks. The Lord has called each of us in this time before Christ's return to be actively involved in sharing his word, to share the gospel. You don't have to go to Ukraine to do it. You can go to your next door neighbor. You know, did you know that foreign countries are sending missionaries to the United States now? Are you all aware of that? Because we're no longer a Christian nation. There are more lost people in the United States now than there are in uh, in a majority of the smaller countries in in the world. And so other countries are sending foreign missionaries here. You know why? We failed, folks. We failed. If you ask the average Christian, and I've seen these statistics, if you ask the average Christian, and I could do that here, I wouldn't dare do it to embarrass anyone. You ask the average group of Christians, how many of you have ever led one person to faith in Jesus Christ? 90%, statistics say that 90% of all professing Christians will say, I've never done that. 90% of believers have never led one to Christ? It's no wonder we're no longer a Christian nation. It's no longer we... It's no wonder that we no longer have the influence that Christians used to have in this country. Folks, it's time for us to wake up. We need to get serious about the call of God in our lives to be witnesses, to share the gospel with those around us. And my prayer for you today as we end this service this morning, that God would impress upon you. First of all, if you're here and you're lost today, you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you may be like me and Janet. We, we thought we were saved at a young age, but we knew when we got on up in our teenage years, we knew we'd never made a profession of faith in Christ. And, and we didn't have a personal relationship with Him. You may be that way today. You may be here today and, and, and never even considered accepting Christ before. Today can be your day of salvation. You may be here and you're saying, you know, I am a Christian. I don't have any doubt about that. But I haven't been a witness for Christ. And I wouldn't know how to even start to share the gospel. You know what, you're, you know what the, the most powerful witnessing tool that you have if you're a born-again believer? Your personal testimony. Your testimony along with the Word of God. That's right. Your personal testimony. No one can refute what God has done in your life. No one can say, well, that didn't happen to you. It's your own personal testimony. And when you take that and you take John 3.16 out of the Bible, you can lead someone to Christ because it's the Holy Spirit of God who's drawing and doing the saving. All you're doing is being obedient to share. And God may be leading you to do that. You may be here this morning. You may have been visiting First Baptist Lindale. This is a great church. I love Eric Welchel. I know that God has, has uh, 
called him to be the pastor here. He's got his hand upon this church and upon his leadership. And uh, it had nothing to do with me, I promise you. But it's amazing what God is doing through Eric Welchel here. And I know you love him. And uh, uh, I, I know if you're visiting here and you're looking for a church where the gospel is preached and where the people love Jesus and love one another, First Baptist Lindale is the place you need to be. So it may be that God's calling you to do that today. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to ask you to stand very reverently, very quietly where you are to bow your head, close your eyes. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and then after that, our praise team is going to sing a hymn, uh, a hymn of invitation, song of invitation. I'll be down front. If you feel comfortable coming and sharing with me, I can't save you, but I can tell you about the one who can, and I can share with you what it means to be a follower of Christ. You need just need prayer this morning, and you want to come and ask me to pray for you. You just want to come and, and bow here and pray yourself. Whatever God's Holy Spirit is leading you to do, you feel God leading you to be a member of this body of believers. You be obedient as God's Holy Spirit leads you. Father, we just thank you now for this time, Lord, and we commit this time of invitation to you, Lord. We pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to move in the lives of the people that are drawn here. I believe, God, everyone is here because you've drawn them here today, Lord, and you have a message. You've spoken to their hearts, Father, and, and now it's their time for obedience. I pray that they will be obedient, whether it's salvation, whether it's for recommitment, whether it's for uh, laying a, take, bringing a burden to you, Father, whether it's for church membership, whatever the need is, Lord, that there will be an obedience to you this morning, Lord, that your name may be glorified. And we want to thank you in advance for the decision that's going to be made this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as God's Holy Spirit leads you.